Welcome to another episode of 13. We'd like to start off by thanking our new patron. We have a patron. So thank you so much to Thomas Brennan. You'll always be our first. Thomas has a podcast too called This Present Darkness, and you should definitely check it out. Patrons like Thomas get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, where you can chat with us about the show, send us pictures of your cats, talk to us about spooky abandoned places you find on long walks as you explore late into the night, and you can let us know what kind of bonus content you'd like to see. You'll already have access to our hilarious bloopers and anything else that comes from our behind-the-scenes archives. Find us at patreon.com forward slash 13pod. This week, we have a very special guest, Shelby Scott, who is the host and creator of Scary to Sleep. Scary to Sleep is a little different from the other horror podcasts you're used to. Shelby reads stories from published and up-and-coming authors. No creepypastas. Her voice soothes and relaxes you, even while delivering great horror content. Her fully produced episodes have sound effects that won't jerk you awake, but creep you to sleep. And experimental episodes like Guided Nightmares use meditation exercises to make sure you're immersed in your very own horror story. You can find a link to scare you to sleep in the show notes. Now, on to our show. I grew up with a particular fascination. Familiar places that felt unfamiliar after dark. Do you remember the first time you went somewhere after dark that you were only used to seeing during the day? Somewhere busy. Somewhere very familiar. You were in a place that you knew like the back of your hand. But after dark, when it's quiet, and empty. It feels entirely different. I love that feeling. I always have. I grew up in the 90s in a small town, and my dad did part-time work at our church. It was convenient because the church was right in our neighborhood, so we could walk there. He was the caretaker, cleaner, and maintenance man all in one. The cool thing about our church is that it was in an old school building. The school felt very 1940s, a low, squat, brick, one-story building with a gym and a library that were built on later. The school had fallen into disrepair, and the city decided a new building made more sense than renovating the old one. The old building sat empty for a long time, and then my church bought it. They fixed up the gym, and added some windows to make it a sanctuary. One hallway that had been a wing of classrooms was turned into Sunday school rooms, a nursery, and a little office. There was another half of the building, the half the church didn't use. It was just past a set of metal double doors that stayed locked. Two hallways full of empty classrooms. All of the desks and chairs and bookshelves had been removed. The classrooms had those old paneled windows with the latch that you pulled up on and they opened outwards. 
big, deep windowsills for storing books and other odds and ends. With everything removed, those deep windowsills looked out of proportion, emptied out. Each hallway had a boys' and girls' restroom. All of the toilets and sinks had been taken out, and the water lines were sealed off. The only thing that was still used in this part of the building was a little workshop my dad had set up for himself in one of the old classrooms. This old side of the building was still in pretty good shape. It was orderly, relatively functional, but it wasn't insulated and it really showed its age. My dad mowed the grass in the summer. We showed up early on Sundays to open the building and stayed late to clean up afterwards. And sometimes, on weeknights, he'd walk up to the church building and work on some more involved projects, like patching a hole in the drywall caused by an overactive Sunday school student, or working on a plumbing issue, or cleaning the carpets and refinishing the tile floors. Sometimes, I'd walk down to the church with him, and while he worked, I'd explore the empty wings, the side that hadn't been renovated. Or, I would just make myself at home in the dark, empty church side of the building. This is where my fascination began with familiar places that felt unfamiliar after dark. The eeriness of the sanctuary without the natural light that I was used to. The high ceiling and the tall, narrow windows that lined both sides of the big room. I would go to a pew in the middle of the room and kick my feet up onto the pew in front of me. I learned in school that when it's nighttime and all the lights are off, you can see out, but other people can't see in. So I would sit there in the dark and scan the windows, imagining I'd see the silhouette of someone looking in at me from outside in the dark. Other times, I'd lay down flat on the pew and stare up at the ceiling, daydreaming. In 1996, my best friend Kayla and I moved from junior high youth group to high school youth group. I found out really quickly that the high school youth group was going to be very different from the middle school one. I knew the older kids because it wasn't a big church and it wasn't a big town. They were the cool kids, and I knew that they were a bit mischievous. I knew that they played good-natured pranks on the church staff. I knew that some of them smoked and drank. But I was pretty naive, and they were also mischievous in ways that I hadn't anticipated. I had been looking forward to being a part of this group, and they were pretty quick to accept the new kids. But for some reason, they didn't really want anything to do with me. They weren't mean or rude, but they just didn't go out of their way to welcome me into the group like they did the others. Even Kayla, my best friend, was accepted into the group. She was invited to birthday parties and other get-togethers that I wasn't invited to. She'd gone out with the high schoolers a few times. One of them lived in this big country house with a separate guest house where they could hang out away from all the adults. 
It was a strain on our friendship. I felt left behind by my peers, but more importantly, I felt like she was leaving me behind. I was afraid she'd choose them over me. One night, she talked me into coming along with her to a party. Come on, they just need to get to know you. Trust me. We got ready together, and Kayla's parents dropped us off. As soon as I walked in the door, I could tell that it had been a mistake. There was a definite tension in the room, and everyone was polite, but they also kept their distance. I couldn't drive yet, so I just had to ride it out. I watched Kayla flirting with the older boys. They were all into her. I also watched the older, cooler girls rolling their eyes and making fun of her when she wasn't looking. Giving the older boys come on, are you serious looks when her back was turned. It helped me feel a little less left out, seeing that she wasn't really one of them. But it also felt bad watching them alternately take advantage of and then ridicule her. It was just miserable, and Kayla could tell that I was humiliated. When her parents came back to get us a few hours later, I had never been more happy to leave a party. I'm sorry. I, I didn't think it would be weird. I just don't understand why I'm the only one they don't like. Did I do something? No, it, it's nothing like that. Then what is it? It's your dad. My dad? Look, he has a key hidden by the back door in the old part of the church. They found it, and they sneak in some nights and drink and make out or whatever. And they think I'll tell on them. They just don't know. They'll realize you're cool, I promise. It'll just take a little time. Do you want me to stop hanging out with them? I will. You're my best friend. I thought about saying yes. God damn it. If I'd only said yes. No, I don't want you to do that. Just give them a little time to get to know you. They'll come around. Wait, have you snuck in there with them? You have. Look, Travis invited me to hang out with him there once. You and Travis? I'm sorry. I should have told you. Did you... you know... No. I mean... not much. The thing about high school kids is that they're not as clever as they think they are. It was only a matter of time before someone got reckless and got caught and it had nothing to do with me. Dustin White and Amy Sellers got caught trying to sneak back into their houses on the same night. They told their parents everything, and it was a whole scandal. Their parents told other parents, and a cascading series of revelations unraveled and shook the fabric of our tiny lives. The whole youth group was grounded. Well, everyone but me. But when everyone you know is grounded, you might as well be too. Also, it just meant that I wasn't cool. It turned out that Kayla had been meeting Jonah Barnes there. I didn't even know they were together. I guess Travis was old news. Jonah was a senior. 
she said that he wanted it to be a secret for now. And then it felt like too much time had passed, and she was afraid I'd feel betrayed. And she was right. My dad had to stop leaving a spare key outside the building. Over the next few months, some of the kids graduated and went off to college. A few others moved to different churches. The rest of the families, the ones that stayed, kept a much closer eye on the kids. The old days of drinking and hooking up in the old part of the building were over. Everything felt different. Everything except the fact that I still didn't feel like I belonged there. Kayla's family was among the ones to leave the church. She was grounded for the rest of the school year. We still saw each other at school, but then she got sick. Between her family leaving for a new church, being grounded, and her illness, Kayla and I didn't see very much of each other for the rest of that year. We fell out of touch, but every now and then, we could sneak a phone call. Hey, how are you feeling? Better. Is it serious? No, it should just take one surgery, and it'll be over. That's good. Yeah, I can't wait to feel like I'm in control again. Do you think God is punishing me for what I did in the church? I don't think that's what God does. I hope you're right. This church is different. They take things a lot more seriously. They definitely wouldn't like that I'm having surgery. We're not telling them. Why not? Something about how God ordains everything? Please keep it a secret. Kayla's new church was really intense, and she didn't like it at first. But I think that being isolated while she was sick, and with them being the only people she could really see, they just kind of grew on her. I missed my friend. I didn't like feeling so distant from her. In the middle of all this turmoil, Eli Green moved to town. If you grew up in a small town, you know what it's like when someone new moves into your school, especially when they're as gorgeous as Eli. I was infatuated with him. So was every other girl in school. I didn't have any classes with Eli, and he made friends with other social groups. High school romance is as much luck of the draw as anything else. Without being assigned to the same classes, without the new guy falling into your social group, you were out of luck. That's just the way it goes. I didn't think much about him, aside from admiring him from afar. In the hall, across the cafeteria, gym class. But the thing about high school in a small town, you learn to resign yourself to your place in the social order. On Sunday mornings, we got to church early so Dad could open up and set up for the service. I usually brought a book or a magazine with me and went back to the high school youth group room, waiting for the other kids to start rolling in. One day, I heard footsteps approaching. I looked up to see Eli Green walk in, looking lost. He saw me alone in the room. Oh, hey. I guess I'm in the right place. In my mind... It felt like I stared at him, blank face, 
for an eternity. In reality, it was only a couple of seconds. Yeah, I guess you are. I didn't know that you went here. Yeah, my parents wanted to try something new. I didn't know you went here either. Oh. My. God. He knows who I am. I told myself to calm down. Of course, he knows who I am. It's a small town. Everyone knows everyone. I heard other footsteps coming, and soon the room was full. But I think I saw him stealing glances at me during the service. I tried not to let on that I noticed. Kayla told me once, that makes boys want to try even harder. Maybe my luck was about to change. Eli's parents seemed to like our church, and that meant I got to see a lot more of him in youth group, and that bled over into school, too. It was our sophomore year, 1997. I was in chorus, and he was on the basketball team, so we both stayed after school for practice. As the school year stretched toward winter, and as the days got shorter and the nights came earlier, being at school after dark fed into that fascination I have for places that are busy and familiar during the day, but eerie, lonely, and quiet during the night. The music wing of our high school was near the gym, so we could hear the sounds of the basketball practice echoing down the hallway. I like to imagine the sound of all of those beautiful voices coming from the chorus room, floating out into the rest of the school, bouncing off of the lockers in the empty hallways, rising through the empty stairwells, our voices lingering in the dark, empty, library. Basketball practice and chorus finished at about the same time, so Eli and I would wait for our parents by the main doors that led to the pickup and drop-off loop. Our coaches and teachers were assigned to watch over us and make sure we were picked up safely before they locked the building up behind them. By November, it was completely dark when practice was over. I lived for the nights our parents were late and we stood around talking. Here's the thing about small-town dating. Everyone knows everyone. And when you're in high school, you have multiple crushes all at once. If I made a move for Eli, friends of mine who also liked him would get mad. I might even lose them. So I have to ask myself, is it worth it? And especially, is it worth going for it? being wrong, and then I lose the boy and my friends. I knew Eli liked me. I wasn't the most popular girl in school, but I was one of those people that got along with everyone. And maybe he had friends that liked me too, so he faced the same dilemma. No one really asked someone out. You end up making out at a party, and then you're dating. It sounds so stupid now when I look back at it, but you remember high school, don't you? It's hard to see past it all. I loved those nights after practice, when the school was dark, making my way from the music wing to the main doors, 
looking down the hallways toward the double glass doors at the end of each wing. The feeling of being a little on edge. The feeling that I shouldn't be here. I used to lay in bed in the dark and fantasize about what might happen if somehow just me and Eli ended up left behind in the school, all alone. The dark hallways and the empty classrooms. I imagined the empty gymnasium and cafeteria, the stairwells lit only by moonlight and the orange glow of the exit signs. We'd be waiting to get picked up and I'd have forgotten something. He'd offer to walk with me to my locker. We'd walk side by side, our steps echoing up and down the corridors. The backs of our hands would just barely brush against each other, but he wouldn't pull away. Then our arms are touching. We stop and turn toward each other. In my fantasy, I'm coy and alluring. And I look up at him as he brushes the hair out of my face. He tells me he's waited so long for this moment. And then something moves in my peripheral vision. Down at the end of the hall by the glass double doors. Was it my imagination? I like to imagine these places at night. I liked to get into that eerie headspace. Am I just scaring myself? Am I afraid to commit to this moment? And then I see it again. It's outside the doors. It moves slowly this time. It's a person. And they're not afraid of being seen. They're presenting themselves to me from the other end of the hall. They want me to be scared. And it's working. I feel panic so completely that it hits me like a moment of weightlessness like an out-of-body experience. Eli notices that something is wrong and follows my gaze. I see his reaction in slow motion. His eyes widen first, and there's a quarter step backward. He turns back to me, and something has changed. It's still Eli, but something in his face is just a little off, and his expression isn't warm anymore. It doesn't look like the face of someone who likes me. In slow motion, he opens his mouth and screams. And then I open my eyes and I'm back in my bedroom. The fantasy's over. My sexual repression was so complete that even in my fantasies, it ended with some man being disgusted with me. Kayla and I had a strained few months, but after a while, things went back to normal. Except that she was going to a different church now. I'd thought that it might be temporary, until Jonah Barnes graduated and left for college. But her parents wanted a fresh start after the youth group scandal last year. This was at the peak of that period of fascination with the rapture and the end times in evangelical culture. Our church had a Book of Revelations study group, and the church book club was eagerly awaiting the latest installment of the Left Behind series. 
but Kayla's new church was really into it. Like, really into it. I listened to the sermons, and I read the books, but I didn't really think much about it outside of church. Kayla would just bring it up when we were eating lunch or in the hall between classes. She tried to sound casual about it, but there was an anxiety there that I could see even then. And I didn't really know what she needed from me, so I just listened as she talked about it. So, did you hear about this nuclear accident in Russia a few years ago? There was a bomb called Wormwood that they were testing, and it went off early by mistake. No one was hurt in the explosion, but it poisoned the ocean off the coast, and all kinds of radiation got into the water. Revelation says that the third trumpet signaling the end of the world is a star falling into the ocean and poisoning the water. Do you know what the star is called? Wormwood. I tried to look it up, and I couldn't find anything about a nuclear bomb named Wormwood going off anywhere in the world. That didn't seem to comfort her. The anxiety was still there. After that, she didn't really bring up end times stuff to me anymore. But I knew she was still thinking about it. It was bubbling just under the surface. It was 1998, junior year. We'd slogged through high school, and the last of those older, cooler kids that were in my church youth group had graduated and moved away to college. My dad started getting comfortable with leaving a spare key outside the church again, now that they were all gone. And me and my friends found ourselves getting a bit more mischievous, almost like we were taking their place. It had been happening slowly for a while, like Meredith's birthday party freshman year, when a game of truth or dare devolved into challenges for everyone around the circle to kiss everyone else. And then the next year, one of those games turned into one big group makeout session. Junior year. Most of my friends lived in the neighborhood and the subdivision was building out a new section. So there were all kinds of houses under construction. The summer between sophomore and junior year, we started sneaking out at night to explore those construction sites. Sometimes someone brought pot or alcohol. At first, the alcohol was usually stolen out of a parent's liquor cabinet. But Kayla's dad got a new job that year, and her parents started traveling on the weekends. That meant that her house became the unofficial party house. But now, with parties every other weekend, we wouldn't be able to sneak enough liquor from our parents without getting caught. There was this guy in town, a real creeper. He was a few years older than us, but he still tried to hang around with the high school kids. High school girls. He'd buy you alcohol, but you had to get flirty enough with him first. And, for his trouble, you paid double the store price. I'd never dealt with him, but the girls that did had a buddy system. They never went alone. Kayla's older brother was supposed to be in charge when her parents were out of town but he didn't seem to mind that we drank or got high in the basement. At one of these parties, I had my first real non-truth-or-dare kiss with Caleb Deering. 
That was also the first night that I drank anything stronger than beer. Caleb and I never slept together, but he was the first boy I saw naked, and he was the first boy who I let see me naked. I thought that would be a bigger deal than it was. We dated for a few weeks until he realized I wasn't ready to go any further. And I started to realize that I didn't really like him when we weren't making out, and also because he pretty much ignored me at school. I wasn't even upset about breaking it off with my first boyfriend, because all this time, Eli was one foot in, one foot out of our social circle. He floated between groups effortlessly. He was around for some of our parties, but there were long periods of time when we didn't see him outside of school and church. Sometimes it was just me and Kayla, and I would stay the night over there when her parents were out of town. When we were alone, and especially when we were drinking, she would turn the conversation back to the end of the world. When you get taken up in the rapture, I'll look after your dogs. She dropped that on me one night out of nowhere. If the rapture happens, you'll be coming too. She gave me an incredulous look. I lost my virginity at church, and we kept going back again and again, and I liked it. I wanted to do it. I mocked God. I'm not going anywhere when the rapture happens. We went around in circles, with me trying to reassure her, and Kayla resigned to her fate. Nothing was going to change her mind. Senior year, 1999. That was the year that everyone became millennium crazed. Half of the world was obsessed with it, but to me, it was just another change in the calendar. Part of the obsession was Y2K. The early internet was awash in chain email forwards, GeoCities blogs, AOL chat rooms, and listservs about what the turn of the millennium would mean. New agers were talking about a new birth of consciousness. There were other ideas about what the turn of the calendar would mean. Kayla's church had some thoughts about it. The Bible is just a series of 2,000-year chapters. It was 2,000 years between Adam and Eve and the Great Flood, It was 2,000 more years until the birth of Jesus. And now it's about to be 2,000 years again. There's only one thing left to happen. Kayla was complicated then. She believed in a very rigid, very small God. Here's how evangelical end-time theology went at the turn of the 21st century. The rapture would occur, and all of the Christians in the world would disappear in the blink of an eye taken up to heaven to escape what was about to happen. Anyone who didn't believe, or who wasn't faithful enough, was left behind. Then, the Antichrist would come to power and bring all the governments of the world together. Then, all the people who came to believe in Jesus after witnessing the rapture, they would be scapegoated and tortured to death. And then, a great battle would take place, where the forces of the Antichrist would be lined up about to strike down the remnant of the faithful, and Jesus would appear and destroy the Antichrist and his armies and set up his kingdom once again on earth. Yeah, so anyway, that's the second coming. But 
before any of that happened, good Christians would be able to interpret all of the signs and prophecies that would lead to the rapture. The Bible is just vague enough that every week something in the news could be interpreted as one of those signs. There are three ways people tend to react when they think they're going to hell. They might try with all their might to set their course straight and get back on the right side of God. They may become paralyzed with resignation. But Kayla decided that she needed to squeeze every last ounce of joy and life out of whatever time we had left before the second coming came to cleanse the earth of the unfaithful. But that carefree, joyful state of mind was punctuated by moments of pure terror. We both got asked to homecoming by a few different boys. We made it way more complicated than it needed to be. We wanted to hang out at the game and then dance afterward, so we had to choose two boys that would get along. And of those, we chose the cutest two. I wanted Eli to ask me. If he had, I might have bailed on Kayla. But he didn't. So Kayla and I went dress shopping in the weeks leading up to homecoming. That looks amazing. Do you think so? Girl, you're hot. Okay, let me see yours. Ta-da! You're a goddess. Shut up. I'm just glad I can fit in this size again. What are you even talking about? I got a little fat for a minute. What? When? I don't know. A while ago. I'm just glad I'm back to normal. You're crazy, and that looks stunning. Thank you. I prefer goddess. On the day of the dance, I went to Kayla's house to get ready. You know those moments in high school that seem innocuous when they're happening, but when you look back, they feel like everything. Her mom took a Polaroid of us in the living room. I think that might have been one of my favorite days. We met the boys and we all rode together to the game. Kayla sat up front with Bryce Johnson, who was already trying to make a move before we even got to the game. I sat in the back with Chase Keaton, who was a little bit more timid and tried his best to make small talk. Bryce got less handsy in the crowded bleachers and Chase came out of his shell. We were having a good time. I was really looking forward to the dance. Lindsay Griffin was supposed to sneak in a flask and had promised to share. I saw Eli a few rows over and we smiled at each other. He was with a group of guys that all came together. I immediately started fantasizing on how we might sneak away later during the dance. While we sat in the bleachers during the second quarter, the moon rose over the dark countryside, past the bright lights of the field. It was a big full moon, a dark, heavy, red moon. Kayla got quiet, and I didn't put it together right away. She grabbed my arm and told me to come with her. We told the boys we'd be right back. And as we got further up the bleachers toward the exit, she looked pale, and I saw her trembling. Her eyes were watering. I asked her what was wrong, and she wouldn't say anything. We made it out into the parking lot. It's happening. It's happening. What's happening? The moon. It's like... It's red like blood. It's one of the signs. 
I didn't know what to say. I told her it was fine. The moon just does that sometimes. It'll go away when it rises a little more. But she wasn't in a place to hear me. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for it to end. I don't want it to be over yet. I called my dad from a payphone in the school's lobby. I told him that Kayla wasn't feeling well and asked if she could stay with us that night. He came and picked us up. Kayla didn't say a word the whole way. She just stared out the window, watching the moon rise and the color drain as it did. By the time we got home, it was orange. Soon after, it was yellow and then bright white. I'm so sorry. I ruined tonight for you. No, 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 no. I'm always here for you. Don't worry about it. We can tell them I got sick and you had to take care of me. That's basically what happened. We can tell them whatever you want. Are you afraid like that? All of the time? No. You know, they don't exactly know when Jesus was born. The year 0 AD is just a guess, so the year 2000 might not be exactly when it happens. It might have been a little before, or a little after. It could be any minute. I think... I think you should talk to someone. Someone outside of your church about this. I don't like to see you scared like this. What could they tell me to make it any better? I made my decision. What decision? Look, maybe they just have a different perspective, you know? Don't you believe that God can forgive you? Not for what I did. I don't know. Maybe. I don't like being caught off guard like that. It'd be nice to feel in control again. Kayla was back to her happy-go-lucky self the next morning. It was like nothing had happened the night before. She said she was going to make it up to me. My birthday was the next week. It was my 18th. I'd had my official 18th birthday party at my house. But the weekend after, Kayla threw a massive party for me. I got you a little something special. Where did you get that? I got Chad to get them. You shouldn't mess with him. You're my best friend. I'd do anything for you. Well, let's open them up. No, no, no. We're going to have a big toast at midnight, okay? We could do a big toast right now. No, stop it. I have a whole plan, and you can't ruin it. You can't touch this until we all do it together. That's just the way it has to be. Okay, fine. I'm going to hide it until then so no one gets into it. She disappeared into her bedroom, presumably to hide the bottles. I'd never seen her so weird about alcohol before. Eli was there. He'd turned 18, too, just a few weeks ago. We talked for a minute before returning to our separate groups of friends. But I kept catching him stealing looks at me. My friends noticed, too. We'd maintained that vaguely flirty, low-key kind of friendship for all of high school. He made it a point to keep gravitating back to me throughout the party. Kayla was watching the whole thing from afar, and I could read it all over her face. 
She was telling me to make a fucking move already. It was hot for October. It had been for a few days. The kind of sticky, sweaty, humid days that are usually reserved for the middle of August. I stepped onto the back porch, separating myself from the group, giving him an opportunity to come and find me. And he did. He asked how I liked the party, and I told him I was having fun. There was a storm coming in. We could see it from her back porch. Lightning lit up the horizon every few seconds. I don't know what came over me. The alcohol definitely helped. But I turned to him and I said, Hey, do you want to walk into the storm with me? I don't know what I expected him to say, but he said, Yeah, let's go. We snuck away from my own birthday party and out onto the road. We turned toward the lightning on the horizon as we walked. The wind was picking up, coming at us head on. It was a cold wind coming in from the north, blowing away the unseasonably hot air. After a minute, we could start to smell the moisture in the air. We were getting closer to the edge of the neighborhood, closer to the edge of town. There were several paved streets that stood empty. No houses were being built there yet. The streetlights became more sparse. It was dark for long stretches of road. Safely away from the others, Eli let his hand brush against mine, and I didn't pull away. And neither did he. It was just like those fantasies I'd had years ago, when we were still waiting for our parents to pick us up after practice. He did it a couple more times, and then I felt his finger catch on mine, and I let him hold on. I thought back to those fantasies things I wanted us to do in those dark hallways, pressed up against the lockers, our lips just grazing each other's, his mouth on mine, our hands exploring. We reached the end of the neighborhood. We came to a stop where the pavement ended. Adrenaline was firing through my bloodstream. From up here on the hill, there was a spattering of lights from farmhouses and one-off county street lamps. I slipped my hand completely into his, intertwining our fingers. Neither of us looked at the other. If we looked, then that would be it. We wouldn't stop until our lips met and we wouldn't be able to just go back to normal after that. We held on to those last moments to the way that things had always been. We looked dead ahead into the wind and to the increasingly furious light. Each new flash shone so that we could see the actual downpour that was approaching us. The curtain of rain was obscuring everything beyond it, and it was getting closer. It was overcoming the lights from the farmhouses and the one-off county street lamps. It would overtake us, too, any moment. I looked around for the closest place to get shelter. There was only one option. The church was two streets behind us and one street over. I could see halos around the lights from the parking lot in the thick, damp air. But the rain hadn't gotten to us yet. 
I turned around and pulled him down to kiss me. I heard it before I felt it. Big, heavy drops hitting the sidewalk. We did it. I told Eli to run. I ran to the church as fast as I could, and Eli followed me. The big, heavy drops turned into a deluge. Water was pounding down from the sky. We were drenched in moments. We kept running. The rain was driving in sideways. Straight ahead, the overhang at the church's front entrance. I got there a fraction of a second before he did. My adrenaline was still pumping through my body, and I just started laughing uncontrollably. Eli did too. Just past the edge of the overhang, the downpour continued. Water dripped from my hair. My clothes clung tight to my body. Eli noticed. I saw him notice. The way he looked at me. I'd never felt more confident in my own skin. I didn't feel vulnerable. I felt powerful. I ran back into the rain and he followed me. Around the side of the building to where my dad had hidden spare key. A few steps later, and I was turning the lock and pulling open the back door to the empty wing of the church. The door slammed shut behind us. A heavy metal-on-metal explosion of sound that echoed through the empty hall and abandoned classrooms. Bouncing off of the tile floor and the cinder block walls. The rain was still pounding on the roof against the windows. The lights outside were enough to see to the end of the corridor that ended in double doors to the church portion of the building. He pressed his body against mine. There was no hesitation. The uncertainty that had been there on top of the hill before the rain overcame us, that was gone. He pressed me against the wall, and I wrapped myself around him. The rain ended, and me and Eli had gotten dressed. Our clothes were still damp, but they'd had time for a lot of the rain to drip out of them. We were sitting on the floor beneath those old windows in one of the old classrooms with our backs against the wall. Above our heads, the oversized windowsill, used ages ago for storing encyclopedias, plants, and other odds and ends. Light from the neighborhood lit the cloudy sky outside, Those clouds absorbed just enough light to cast the shadows of the window panes on the wall opposite us. We talked a little, but mostly we sat there quietly. I leaned my head on his shoulder, and he leaned his head on mine. It was a comfortable silence. The moment felt delicate. Tonight had been in the making for so long. It was time. We listened to the building settling around us, to the wind crackling through the vents. The cold air that had blown in the storm was going to make the walk back to Kayla's house a lot less pleasant than the walk here. I was about to suggest that we go back. We were skipping out on my own birthday party after all. I was pretty sure Kayla wasn't going to be mad. In fact, she was probably cheering me on. She'd been giving me those go-for-it looks earlier. 
She'd probably already opened those two expensive bottles and toasted to mine in Eli's honor. And then, on the wall across from us, where we watched the shadows cast by the window panes just above our heads, we saw another shadow appear. It was the shape of a person, and they were standing just outside the windows above our heads. We instinctively pulled our outstretched legs into our chests, and I inhaled sharply and held my breath. I felt a new kind of panic like I'd never experienced. Sheer terror. Eli pulled away and arched his head to look straight up at the window. I tried looking, but I couldn't see anything. Whoever it was wasn't close enough. They were looking into the windows cupping their hands around their face to block out the reflection. They looked in for a moment, and then they kept moving. They were going slow. We could hear the wet ground under their feet trudging through the mud. We watched until the shadow was completely past our window. I let out the breath that I'd forgot I'd been holding. They hadn't seen us. Eli timidly pulled back from the wall and peered over the rim of the windowsill. I asked him if he could see anything, but he shook his head. Eli raised up more and then stood up altogether and tried leaning up to the glass, looking in the direction the shadow had gone. I asked what he saw. He shook his head. Nothing. The initial panic was passing. And then another thought occurred to me. It flashed through my mind and it caught in my throat. Oh my God. Did I lock the door behind us? I ran out into the hallway and to the door where we'd come in. Eli followed me. It was locked. I caught my breath. Just as someone jiggled the handle from the other side. I held my breath again until I heard footsteps stumbling away. Eli was already ahead of me, moving down the hallway. He motioned for me to follow him. I got up fast and followed. He was trying to catch up to whoever was outside and watch them from the safety of the dark hallway. Two classrooms down the hall, we caught up with them for a second, before they were out of view again. I couldn't make out their face or their clothing. The dirty windows wouldn't allow for a clear view. All I could see was a thick raincoat. But they were small. Petite, even. I was surprised. It was a woman. I don't know why, I just expected it to be a man. We got to the next classroom, and from the door we watched her come into view. And then I heard something. It was singing soft enough that I couldn't make out the words. But it was a tune that I would recognize anywhere, a hymn that we sang at church when we were kids. And it was a voice that I would recognize anywhere. My chorus partner, my best friend. It was Kayla. What's she doing out here? Is she looking for us? I don't know. She's drunk. We should go get her. No. Wait. Something's not right. She was looking for us. 
She had looked in every window on her way down the side of the building. We followed along with her, down the hallway, cloaked in the darkness she'd never be able to see us from out there. Something was really wrong, and I don't know how, but I already knew what had happened. I knew it the moment that I remembered what she'd said the other night after the homecoming game. I don't want to be caught off guard like that. I want to take back control. I realized that it wasn't hooking up with Jonah Barnes that made Kayla think that she was going to hell. I got a little fat for a minute. It should just take one surgery and it'll be over. Please keep it a secret. It'd be nice to feel in control again. She's just walking out to the countryside. Don't go out there. Please. Please just trust me. Kayla walked on past the church. We went through the double doors to the church side of the building. We followed her to the sanctuary and watched from the big windows where I used to sit alone, peering out into the night when I was a kid, waiting for my dad to finish work. We watched her until she reached the edge of the neighborhood and right up to the big hill where we'd gone to meet the storm. And then as she walked over its crest and down the other side, out of sight, out into the countryside, We braved the cold wind and walked in the opposite direction back to Kayla's house. I kept looking over my shoulder, afraid that I'd see her trailing behind us. She had been looking for us. I don't know why, but it wasn't good. I knew something was wrong as soon as we were able to see the house. It was 4 a.m. We were still down the street but the lights were on in the house. We could hear the music playing in the distance. It wasn't really loud, but the night was silent except for the wind. If the party was still going on, we should have heard voices, other kids being rowdy. We didn't hear anything like that. As we got closer, we saw the door was wide open, the porch light on and the light in the foyer. It was bright. Someone looked like they'd fallen asleep in the doorway, half in the house, half outside. I stopped at the sidewalk, trailing behind Eli as he went to wake them up and get them inside. And then I looked past the doorway. Someone else was on the stairs, motionless. They were facing the wrong way. Their head was at the bottom. Further down the hall, Away from the doorway, a pair of legs stuck out from around the corner. I smelled something indescribably foul. I started to hyperventilate. At the moment I saw everything in my field of vision go white, I heard Eli raise his voice. She left a note on the kitchen table. 
It was a bunch of incoherent rantings about the end of the world being upon us. About how we were all unfit for the kingdom of heaven. It was 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus. The rapture would come any day now. Afterward, a great torment where the faithful who were unfit to be taken up in the rapture would be tortured for their faith. She'd seen a taste of that terror two weeks ago at homecoming, when the moon rose blood red. She said she loved us, and there was no reason for us to suffer in that great torment. We could go peacefully, now, and avoid the horrors of the apocalypse. She had poisoned those two expensive bottles, and she gathered everyone together to make a toast. She thought it was a mercy killing. Only, by the looks of the scene in her house, even the little bit that I saw from the sidewalk, I don't think anyone went peacefully. Poisoning is a violent and painful death. It's not just going to sleep and never waking up. The floor was covered in vomit. Some of our friends had heaved blood. They chit themselves. I could smell it from the street. They found Kayla almost right away, not far past the hill where we'd seen her walk out into the countryside. She'd poisoned herself, too, and she'd stolen her parents' handgun. We don't know if that was a backup plan in case the poison didn't work, or if it was meant for me and Eli. We'll never know. School was closed for two weeks, while funerals for 18 kids were held back to back. I finished the rest of my senior year remotely and graduated with a GED. I just couldn't go back. Eli and I saw each other around town a few times after that. Any potential that we had had together died that night with all of our friends. We exchanged looks that spoke more than anything we could ever say out loud. And that was enough. I think about Kayla all the time. I hate her and I love her with all my heart and with equal ferocity. It's been 20 years since that night. I have lived a whole other lifetime since then. It can be hard to remember just how impossible it was back then to see past your current circumstances. A perfect storm of sexual repression, pious guilt, and a cultural fad about the end of the world conspired to destroy my best friend. It isolated her, it boxed in her beautiful spirit, and it crushed her soul. I wonder all the time if things would have been different if she could just talk about it, any of it, to just one person. When I go home now, I sometimes drive by the old church. They moved out of that building a few years later, and now the old church where I'd spent those nights in a dark sanctuary while my dad worked, staring up at the ceiling or watching out the big windows for some kind of movement. 
it's empty again, abandoned, dark and familiar. The neighborhood has grown up around it. Those empty streets the night Eli and I walked out into the storm. They're all lined with houses now. A new subdivision's grown out into the field where they found Kayla that awful morning. The world didn't end at the turn of the millennium. Life just kept going. This little place that was our world back then, this neighborhood, it doesn't look the same anymore. The people are all new. I don't feel any attachment to it anymore. Eli moved out of state after high school. We follow each other on social media, but we don't talk. But I like to see that he's doing okay. And I think he can feel me cheering him on, wherever he is. I moved to the city and I built a life there. All of my childhood friends. They're frozen in time now, and I get to just keep living. They're frozen in a place that doesn't exist anymore. Teenagers forever. A terrible kind of Neverland. Stuck in a Polaroid picture. And I mean it when I say that I hate her. I hate her with a ferocity that I'll never be able to articulate. But I miss her too. She's a missing piece of my heart. You just don't forget your best friend. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been Dark and Familiar, written by Ian Epperson and narrated by me, Brooke Jeanette. The voice of Kayla was Shelby Scott. The voice of Eli was Jace Keegan. Assistance from Ian Epperson, Bridget Howard, Liz Walker, and Brian Burkhart. The sound design is by Liz Walker. The music is by Kayla Britchie. Our Patreon partners will get access to bloopers, bonus content, and an exclusive Discord channel with the creators. Patrons for our shows get access to Patreon rewards for all of them, including Olive Hill. Bridget Howard is your best friend, offering you a drink. Thanks for listening.